May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strong rock and our redeemer. Thank you, Bishop Jose, for this generous invitation to preach as we gather to renew our vows. And all of you committed to baptismal ministry as laity, thank you for being here today to present your clergy. We cannot do what we do without you and your support. The bishop asked me to preach today as a sign of the ministry that we share together. It's not his or mine or yours, but it is ours together, lay people, deacons, priests, bishops. Thank you, bishop, for modeling what we believe as a church. So here we stand in the third week of March, the most wonderful time of year. <laughs> I actually mean that. In just a few days, those of us who are ordained will have the privilege of leading God's people through the richest week of rituals in the whole Christian year. We will take the journey of our lives through all the ups and downs. I've always loved this week because it's when I get to touch the core of my priestly being. All of my energy is enfolded in all these liturgies instead of all the places where I can get distracted or feel out of my depth fielding the myriad of decisions that come our way every week as ordained people. It is good to touch these places where our communities gather to remember who we are as the people of God, as those intimately acquainted with dying and rising. We need this muscle memory to live out our calling in the world right now. And it's the most wonderful time of the year because it's March Madness. <laughs> I get giddy this time of year, especially when the number 16 underdog takes out the number one seed and my team is still moving through that busted bracket. <laughs> but there's a cloud hanging over this year's tournament with the recent FBI probe and bribery scandal that has rocked college basketball in recent weeks. On a recent drive to Asheville for a meeting, I tuned in to a radio show that was exploring all the ins and outs of whether college players should be paid and who's benefiting from their labor. I'd be glad to take up this conversation more over lunch. But there was a legal phrase that surfaced that grabbed my attention. They kept talking about the player's likeness and who got to control their likeness, as in a player's likeness could end up on a video game and the player could do nothing about it, nor could they reap the financial rewards of their likeness being used in such a way. And then a few days later, I heard an interview with an actress talking about signing a contract where she gave away her likeness for perpetuity. 
there it was again, this notion of likeness. I started wondering, what about my likeness? Who controls my likeness? As a person of faith, Genesis 1:26 sprang to mind, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. Our likeness is made in the image of God, shaped by God to manifest divinity in this world, filled with the breath of God to breathe God's presence everywhere. God controls our likeness. And our baptism seals the deal, marked as Christ's own forever. We can't sign our likeness away, no matter how many times we screw up. Nor can anybody take that likeness away from us. It is given to us in our creation. This is our bedrock belief, and this is the ground of everything else we do as baptized people of God. Going another step, as ordained people, as deacons, priests, and bishops, how do we understand our likeness? Who's controlling it? Have we signed it away? Think about it. We live in a time when our churches are under tremendous stress, as if changing demographics and shifts in giving patterns and the pace of society, and the church being seen as just one more activity among many from which people may choose to find common cause or to do service or to find community. As if all of these factors weren't enough, add to them a society that is fractured and divided in every way conceivable, and that is so very afraid, where civility is completely eroded, and where, as one colleague reminded me, the 24-hour adrenaline-laden, righteously enraged news cycle has more contact hours forming the people of God than we have as their deacons, priests, and bishops. Amidst all of these forces, it is easy to lose touch with our likeness. It is easy to lose touch with the particular likeness that God has placed in us and ask us to manifest as the particular deacon or priest or bishop that God has made us to be. It's easy to look over at our colleague and think we're supposed to be more like their likeness because their church is growing and ours is struggling. It's easy to think our likeness isn't prophetic enough or healing enough or reconciling enough or pastoral enough or experienced enough or savvy enough or whatever enough you don't think you are enough of. But here's the deal. God has not called you to be your colleague's likeness. God has made you according to God's likeness. God has made you into a particular deaconly likeness or priestly likeness or bishoply likeness that only you can enflesh and that God needs you to live out for the healing of this world that God so loves. Only God controls your likeness. 
not the endless expectations that can trip us up, whether those expectations are externally expressed in the needs of others or are the internal expectations that shout at us inside of our heads, showing us all the places where we fall short. God controls our likeness for perpetuity. Our worth is not on the line, which means we are free to be faithful servants. In this moment, when ministry is just plain hard, and many of us are serving amidst currents for which we were neither trained nor of which we could have conceived, our scriptures this morning come to us as the balm of Gilead. Genesis reminds us that we are a people of covenant. God has made an irrevocable covenant with God's people, and the longer we live within that covenant with God, the deeper it goes. Today we remember that God calls us to walk in God's presence and be blameless. Except the Hebrew word translated as blameless doesn't mean to act in a perfect way that would keep us from being blamed for something. The Hebrew word means complete, whole, sound, healthful. Can we remember that our first calling is to walk with God and to be in God's presence and to live from a place of health and wholeness? Can we trust that God has indeed made covenant with us and that God will make us exceedingly fruitful? Abraham couldn't imagine how numerous his descendants would be. He was 99 years old and tired. <laughs> and yet, God asked him to trust in a future beyond his imaginings. This whole enterprise, it's bigger than us. We are seed sowers. And more often than not, we don't know where and when those seeds take root in the dark places. Nor can we conceive of the fruits that will one day come of the seeds we sow. We are asked to trust. And like Abraham, this strange land of church and culture through which we are sojourning right now, through the power of God, this alien land will also be a land of promise. This shifting ground beneath our feet will hold firm. No matter what God has promised, I will be their God. We do well to remember the counsel of the psalmist. Search for the Lord and his strength. Continually seek his face. The psalmist reminds us that even when we're not mindful of our covenant with God, God is. God has always been mindful of God's covenant, the promise God made for a thousand generations. There is tremendous comfort in standing in a promise and covenant that spans a thousand generations. Again, we are woven into something so much bigger than us. And then comes Jesus, tangling with the opposition, as they are called in the common English Bible. Jesus promises that whoever keeps his word will never see death. Boy, that's hard to keep in mind when the arrows are coming your way. 
the opposition. And mind you, this opposition is coming from within his very own tradition. The opposition goes for the juggler. Now we know that you have a demon. Using words to cut down your opponent has a long tradition, eh? They attack Jesus' logic. They attack Jesus' status. Then they go for the supreme place of vulnerability that can haunt all of us. Who do you claim to be? Really, Jesus, just who do you think you are? And Jesus answers from a place of deep and steadfast knowing. I know God and I keep God's word. Before Abraham was, I am. It's one of the great I am sayings in John's gospel. Jesus' being rests in God's being. It's eternal. It's timeless. It is the still point amidst all that spins and swirls. This finally is the place where we all stand as baptized people, lay and ordained. We know God, we keep God's word, and before everything else, we remember that the great I am lives in us. There will always be those who challenge our authority, who challenge how we keep God's word, the opposition of Jesus' day decided to pick up stones to throw at him. The text tells us Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. From time to time, we may need to hide ourselves and go out of the temple to catch our breath and breathe deep of the great I am that is beyond easy definition. And standing in this place, our collect for today becomes a prayer to which we can hold fast. Arm us with such trust in him that we may ask no rest from his demands and have no fear in his service. Jesus demands that we be the deacons, priests, and bishops that he has made us to be. We know him and he us. And in keeping his word, we ground ourselves in the deep place. Armed with trust in him, we can meet the demands of this moment and the urgent call of breathing and proclaiming his gospel, the good news of his reconciling love into all the broken, torn, forsaken places in this world. Armed with trust in him, we need have no fear in his service. Armed with trust in him, we renew our commitment to the sacred ministry under the pastoral direction of our bishop. We reaffirm our promise to walk with God, to dwell in God's presence, to keep God's word. We reaffirm our promise so to minister that word and the sacraments of the new covenant that the reconciling love of Christ may be known and received. We reaffirm our promise to be faithful servants to all those committed to our care and to pattern our life and steward our likeness according to that which God has lovingly made and Jesus has shaped, steeped in wholeness and health. We reaffirm all the promises we made at our ordinations 
trusting that Jesus will give us all we need to meet their demands without fear. As we look around this world, it is March madness in more ways than one. Never as has the demand of our calling to be ministers of the gospel been greater, and we will die and rise more than once as we sojourn in this strange land. But you are made in the image and likeness of God, wrapped in layers of holy covenant, sustained by the promise of our Lord who has promised to be with us always armed with trust in him, you need not fear his service.